It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Locked on Wizards podcast. Ben Standig here. Uh, wow, what can we say about that Wizards performance against the Nets? A pretty brutal loss for the Wizards in Brooklyn. I'm going to get into all that and more with our guest tonight, Mr. Adam Rubin from TruthAboutIt.net. We'll get into what we saw, what's up with John Wall's minutes, and just look ahead a little bit here to what's coming up with Orlando and the Boston Celtics here on the Locked On Wizards podcast. And let me right up front say today's podcast is brought to you or sponsored, however you'd like to say that, say that by our friends with my bookie. The deal is if you join my bookie, they will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. You want to use the promo code L-O-N-B-A. That's L-O as in Locked On N-B-A. To activate the offer, go to mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's get into this. Uh, what a debacle. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I am start. We're starting this podcast before the final buzzer has sounded because, you know, <laughs> it's a Friday night. We've got better things to do. It seems like the Wizards might as, might as well. Uh, might be thinking the same thing tonight as well, based on this performance. Uh, at the moment, they are down. Well, they've been down by as much as what forty points at least in this game. Uh, I don't even know, Adam. It's been crazy. I mean, the thing about it was. Oh, first of all, Adam, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I, I apologize that you know we get you on a night where there's not much to talk about other than to say, "Wow, that was terrible." I believe we also did a podcast during the fourth quarter of the Utah game as well. <laughs> I, think so, I, think, I think you're right. Um, so I'm used to it. Maybe I'll have to have the official statistician of the Lockdown Wizards podcast tell me what is the record of the games that you are on and what is the point, what is the margin, uh, you know, the margin of victory or, or what's the Wizards uh, net rating or something. Cause yeah, based on that, it is, uh, it is crazy. I mean, you know, that Utah game, as bad as that was, obviously, to lose by 46 on the road or whatever, no excuses, but weird games happen in the NBA. They got absolutely destroyed, and they did come back, win the next two, and really had a chance to go 4-1 and one in that road trip, but they obviously blew the last two games, the weird one in L.A. that you were at, and then the, the, the first time they played Brooklyn, where they blew that game late. To come back... Yes, this, go ahead. No, I was going to say also, also, just to that point, the Jazz had been playing very well. They had destroyed a few teams, you know, around the time to beat Washington also. So, you know, there's a similarity in terms, in terms of how poorly they played or how badly they were beaten. But for this to happen against a Brooklyn Nets team, that's, that's a whole other whole thing. Well, and, I mean, to this to happen to a team, 
another team with a losing record. This has been a habit, we know. But they just lost to them 12, 10 days ago in Brooklyn. You would think, I mean, look, even if they lose, I mean, you know, the other team was paid to make plays as well. But to come out the way they have here tonight, especially in the second half, things were okay early. First quarter, the starters got down a little bit. The bench brought them back. They were down 26-23 after the first quarter. Second quarter, yeah, not so great. They're down 10 points at halftime. And we'll get into the weirdness that was going on in the first half with regards to John Wall's minutes. But then, third quarter, an utter disaster. They get outscored 35-18. And as I said, they were down by as many as 40 points. Uh, It's just crazy. We'll get to some final stats here in a second. But needless to say, they've gotten destroyed on the boards. Uh, They've been out-rebounded by over 20 on the boards. They're shooting under 40% from three, under 30%. I'm sorry, under 40% from the field, under 30% from three. The Nets are making half their shots. And, you know, you put it all together, obviously. (laughs) Maybe maybe it still wouldn't spell a, you know, 30-something point loss. It looks like a spoiler, Adam. They're going to lose by about 35, but this is another shot. It's 119.84 right now is the likely final, though the Wizards will technically have one last uh, shot. Uh, I mean, look, you know, I mean, what, 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 can, what can you say really at this point? I, I, I wrote earlier this week about how while the Wizards have a better record at this point than they did a year ago, they were 17 and 14 coming into this and 15 and 16 last year after 31 games. The difference was, at least for me, that this team has not shown any sign of momentum. Win one, lose one. Win two, lose two. You know, even on this previous home home road stay and those wins over Memphis and uh, the Clippers were hardly inspiring against some, you know, teams with losing records. They just blew a 25-point lead against the Pelicans before, obviously, putting them away because it was a weird game. Last year, though, by this point, they had they had already started what would be that 17-game home court winning streak. They had won 8 of 11 going into the game, you know, at game 31. So they had already shown some signs that, hey, things were turning. This group hasn't, and this game, a massive reminder that that remains very, very true. Yeah, and I can recall after the last game you were – cautiously, or at least putting it out there, is it possible after beating New Orleans, playing the way that you would hope they would play? And, you know, is this, are they ready to turn it around? And and it just sort of underscores the inconsistency that you can go from that that feeling, that hope, to just this, which really, you know, you have to consider this one of not only the, the, the worst loss of the season, but this is a type of loss where, you know, this is one of the worst losses of the last, you know, four or five years type thing. I mean, in terms of the effort, the, you know, the opponent, the score, and just how poorly they played. So, I mean, you got to figure this is sort of at the, the, the lowest point and, and how many times have we already thought we were at the lowest point of games this season? And, you know, there, there's really no reason, no reason to expect them to turn it around if they can play consistently. If they do, great. But at this point, I think we're all done prognosticating or thinking maybe this is the time. I mean, it's really, they're going to have to show it, you know, there's no reason to, to, to speculate or guess when, when they win four in a row, when they win five of seven, when they win nine of 11, great, it happens. But until it happens, they're, they're not a serious threat in the East. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, no, I I, I, uh, I, I would agree. Um, you know, in terms of is this the worst loss of the year, I, I got to think that it is, right? I mean, I, I, obviously the Utah yep. loss, I mean, this is worse than Utah. Utah was at least on the road, and like you said, Utah was a pretty hot team at that point. Uh, you know, the Nets have been struggling coming into this game. Everybody was scoring at will against them, and the Wizards couldn't even get the 90 tonight. I think that Dallas game for me was probably the big stinker because Dallas was an atrocious team at that point, and the Wizards got smoked yeah. at home. But this is definitely uh, worse. Now, uh, let's get to – okay, so so okay, so okay, I think we've established here <laughs> – no more. Any nobody should should say. Okay, here comes the turnaround. Here comes the comeback. Marquise Morris the other day at practice when we asked him, <laughs> yeah, when asked about this, he was kind of glib about it. He's like, oh yeah, it's coming. Don't worry about it. I I didn't really run. I didn't write about it. I didn't really talk about it on here because I was like, okay, well we'll see. And you know, sure enough, that's not there. That that's not happening. Uh, yeah. Now, so let's put that aside. We're we're done thinking the comeback's happening until like you said, it does. Let's get to the more important parts, though, from a bigger picture standpoint. John Wall played 16 minutes tonight. Now, granted, uh, none of the starters played a ton of minutes, all played less than their normal because of the blowout. I suspect none of them even played in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't think they did. But the reason why John Wall only played 16 minutes was he only he played less than eight in the first half. Now, that was pretty weird to me on multiple levels, and I think, Adam, you agree with me that it was odd. I think it seemed odd to a lot of people. Now, he played the first 7.33 of the first half and then didn't come in again. Now, the Wizards are playing on a back-to-back tomorrow night, being Saturday. They'll be home against Orlando, first meeting of the year against the Magic. I, I, I will be there, and I don't know if Mr. Rubin will be there, but, you know, if he is, uh, you know. Um, you know, I, I will be there. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, as always, say hi to Adam, and if it's, since it's the holiday season, you know, wish him a happy new year and all that. Uh, but... He only plays seven seven minutes and change, and we're all like, what the heck is going on here? Because he said, John Wall, after their last game, which, mind you, was on Tuesday, so they had a, a, more than a day off, said that his minute, minutes restrictions had been taken off. Now, the Wizards are playing on a back-to-back, so I get being cautious with him. And not only are they playing on a back-to-back, they then play, of course, Monday at Boston on Christmas. So it's three games in four days. That's a lot, okay? I mean, you know, that, that, that's a lot of wear and tear in general, and if you're a little concerned about him, I get that. But seven minutes and 33 seconds in the first half is way low. Now at halftime, Chris Miller on the broadcast says John was to be expected to play about 25 minutes. Granted, at that point, they weren't down a million points. But that seems weird in and of itself, too. Even if you were going to say 25 minutes at the start, that means he's playing like 75% of the second half with a back-to-back the next night. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so the whole minutes thing is bizarre. It seems to me, Adam, here's my logic. You can tell me if I'm crazy. If you were going to take him light on one game, why not go heavy, This go normal this game, which is on the road against a team you already lost to, then tomorrow go lighter when you're at home with a better chance to win just based on being at home, especially considering the Boston game that everybody's in, you know focused on on some level is going to be less than 48 hours after that. Instead, seemingly now they're going to play him regular minutes tomorrow, to then turn around and play at Boston in less than twenty in less than forty eight hours, so I, I'm baffled by what happened here with his minutes. 
Well, I'd take it one step further in that if you believe that he can only play or should only play seven and a half minutes in one half because you're on some type of minutes restriction, then he should not be playing back-to-backs yet. And I would say play him as normal minutes tonight as he had been doing in the previous games and then sit him tomorrow. There's Orlando is coming in. They've got, I think, Aaron Gordon's out, Fournier is out. Uh, a couple other guys are out. I mean, if you're going to pick and choose who you'd want to have him sit against. But if you have the three games and four nights, uh, you know, to, to the seven and a half minutes in the first half could not have simply solely been minutes restriction because you would not have come in and said we're going to play him seven or eight minutes in the first half and then 17 out of the 24 minutes in the second half. That just makes no sense in terms of if the goal was to rest his knee. So I say if, you know, if you were that concerned, I would have just have him sit out one game. Now, it turned out, effectively, he's pretty much sat out this game because it's, you know, playing seven minutes and then another seven, eight in the second half. That's, that's, that's a warm-up. That's not much. So I think he'll be good for, for a full minute uh, next game. But, but yeah, it definitely – there's I think there's something more going on. He didn't look happy on the bench uh, in the first half. He sat there with his arms crossed at the end of the first half. Um, so, uh, you know uh, – I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's no real way. I mean, I'm sure that the comments after the game from Scott Brooks will simply be what they said. We expected to play 25, and we're sort of watching his minutes, even though it doesn't logically make sense the way it played out. But I don't think we'll get anything more than, than that explanation uh, from the team. No, pr- probably not. And look, you know, just to clarify for those who are unsure, I did not go to medical school. I believe Adam, who's a smart guy, I don't even think he went to medical school. I think he went a different path of his career, and neither of us... Yeah, friends who went to medical school. Oh, okay, well, that's good. And neither one of us <laughs> neither one of us has stayed at a Holiday Inn Express in the last uh, couple of days, as far as I know. So, we don't know what we're talking about, but I'm just simply looking, in terms of, like, medical stuff, I'm just looking at it logically. If you're going to actually rest them, I, the, the path they chose to go just doesn't make much sense to me, and I don't know what to make of it, other than it just seems weird... So, uh, I don't know. Now, that said, with John Wall playing limited minutes or not, this is not acceptable to lose by a bazillion points. Uh, Bradley Beal tonight, 2 for 15 from the field. Uh, that is uh, not good. Since we have the final stats, Wizards shot 36.6% from the field. Out-rebounded tonight, 60-35. to 35. Uh, You know, I was... I, I tweeted out earlier today that over their last 10 games, the Wizards' defensive net rating is actually fourth in the NBA. And Scott Brooks has talked recently about what he's liking, what, what he's seeing on that end of the court, and so on. Uh, that that version did not show up tonight. It's not even just like looking at the numbers that Brooklyn shot 50% from the field. But like you, you look at that combined with the rebounding, they just did not have any energy out there collectively uh, really at all tonight. There were a, a couple defensive switches that just looked, you know, mind-blowing, uh, bizarre, what they were what they were doing. There was a point during the broadcast where Kara Lawson notes that the players weren't running up quick enough to, to sort of get there with, with, with Wall. Uh, there was just not much energy. Other than that point late in the first quarter when the bench came in and started to give them a lift, it was just not a game where the Wizards looked to be uh, engaged, and ultimately to me, and Brooks has said this a thousand times himself, it's not that complicated. You play hard, 
good things will happen. Even if they had lost this game, but you know, showed up with with all the energy, you take it for what it is, and you focus on the nit the nitpicky stuff. To 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 have no energy two days after a win, you try to get on this streak. This team just beat you, losing record. Uh, it's not like Boston's the next game. It can't be looking past Orlando, looking past the Nets to get to Orlando. So it, it's a yeah. This is just a disappointing one to say the least. I, don't, I you know I, I wish I had more insightful comments other than to say blech. But yeah, I mean that's kind of what this game was. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, and the stats don't really matter uh too much. I mean, what, basically, Washington, they missed a bunch of open shots. That's true. It would have been closer had they made those shots. But just set that aside, the amount of uncontested dunks they gave up, the offensive rebounds they gave up, and it was like they were flat-footed on the boards. And, you know, whether it was Levert, whether it was – it doesn't really matter who it was. Jared Allen, just somebody, Rondé Hallis-Jefferson, the – Brooklyn's players were just attacking on the, the boards and they were jumping while the defenders were, were, were flat-footed. So, I mean, it was 100% effort, which is 100% controllable, which is what has been said over and over again. And, and you know, we're going to get those same comments in the locker room. We've got to learn to start playing consistently. Got to learn to stop playing down to our opponents. You know, all, all that stuff is going to be said and, and nothing yet, yet has changed. Um, you know, I, they they only had you know Washington only had seven turnovers, they forced fourteen turnovers from Brooklyn, and they were getting in transition a little bit. Washington was running. They missed a bunch of layups. Wall missed a few layups. You know, Ubre missed a dunk. Tons of shots at the rim that were missed. So that's why the numbers like yeah they shot that poorly, but yeah they, it should have been a little higher. That, that was sort of a fluke, but that in no way would have changed the outcome of the game because they just were not out there. Uh, trying they weren't out there playing hard and that's really that's not something you know that should be said of the team certainly not something that should have been said for what six seven eight games this season already out of like 32 would you say a third of the game 25 percent of the game you know have been games losses based on just a lack of effort and energy i mean that's that's just really it's certainly it's certainly not not acceptable no it seems like that like i said even during this this homestand where they went three and one so if you look at the record you think it's pretty good but you know that memphis game was pretty disturbing because memphis was that was probably the worst lineup they faced all year and memphis was in it till the end uh you know the clippers were missing a ton of people and you know they fought the wizards uh you know pretty deep and then, you know, again, the Pelicans game, yes, they ultimately won comfortably, but, you know, we saw what happened. They blew a 25-point lead, but they were playing a team that plays even, you know, played even less defense, I guess, in, in that game. Uh, let, let, let me give at least two some sort of positives here. Otto Porter did return. He did start. He wasn't good, but he did, no, yeah. <laughs> he did play, and it's, the, it's only the second time for the Wizards since Thanksgiving that they've had their starting line, their starting five, intact so that that sort of goes to the point of why they've been so up and down and you know watching Otto Porter you know clearly was not all the way back 
And uh, on the on the broadcast right now on the post game show, they were just showing a highlight of the Wizards not getting back on defense, and you see sort of one net race past four Wizards, you know, sort of in theory, you know, get ahead of him on defense, but they they, they weren't moving that fast, and the two guys who were sort of ahead of the pack for the Wizards were Otto Porter, who's been dealing with a hip injury, and Markeith Morris, who clearly is still not 100%, I guess, with his various issues. So the Wizards are, are, are in a weird spot. We've talked about this plenty, where it's not just that the guys are missing games, but they clearly are not all the way back. I mean, again, just based on that alone, what I just said, John Wall's on minutes restriction, Otto Porter in his first game back clearly didn't look 100%, and Markeith Morris hasn't looked 100% all season. That's three of your five starters. So, I mean, that, that, that's going to be tough to overcome for anybody. Um, by the way, Jan Mahimi only played eight minutes tonight. I know this was a blowout, but did I miss something on that one, Adam? Was there something going on to him, or you're just not, you know, you just didn't play him because of the way the game got uh, unraveled? Well, for starters, he's not good. But secondly, they went to... I, I, that, was, that was unfair. I shouldn't have said that. But they went to Jason Smith to start the fourth and that sort of took away his minutes at the end. Um, Which is fine. I mean, well, I, I mean, you know, nobody. Yeah, that the game. Yeah, I mean, Jason Smith. I mean, you know, why not? I, I, you know, the only thing I guess I would say is, like you mentioned earlier, Brooklyn. It wasn't just that they were getting baskets at the rim; they were attacking the rim as if, like, you or I were playing center for the Wizards. That they had no fear of attacking the paint. I see people uh, messaging me on Twitter that uh, that I guess on the Nets broadcast, the Nets are saying that their plan was to take their man off the dribble because the Wizards are not great at giving backside help or not or don't have much of a rim protector. Uh, true or true or not, that you know this was egregious. The, 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 you know, we haven't seen the Wizards give it up like this uh, th- this easily. Um, uh, so you know, tough. Fight. By the way, I mean, you can tell it was bad. Even Mike Scott was only three for eight from the field, although he was two for four from three. So uh, <laughs> if Mike Scott can't make you know, at least 60% of the shots, you know, it was a bad night. Yeah. I mean, and, and it really was, I mean, what, what, what you're saying, the backside help, I mean, the, the, what, once the perimeter player was beat, there was really no, the, the help would come, whether it was Gortat or whether it was Mahinmi, they were contesting the shot. And then on the misses, it would be an easy putback for, for the net. So, I mean, there's there's absolutely no rotation or no help on the weak side. So someone would drive, Gortat Mahimi can test, either Ubre or Otto, whoever on the weak side wasn't rotating down to the basket and wasn't boxing out their man. So no matter what happened, if the shot went in, great, the Nets scored. If it missed, who cares? The Nets were getting the offensive rebound for an easy putback. And, you know, there was that one possession, uh, I guess it was the third quarter where, what was it, five offensive rebounds the Nets got or something like that, four or five, maybe even six. Um, and that was just, you know, sort of a microcosm for, for the game. I mean, it was, it was just rebound after rebound of guys just hustling in and, and the Wizards being flat-footed. But, you know, that's it, – it, it's the one thing I will say, aside from we're talking about the players, while well, they're, they're coming back from injuries and all that stuff, but at some point, at some point, you have to start looking at Scott Brooks, or at least Scott Brooks has to take some accountability for – being the leader of a team that consistently doesn't show up, it doesn't try. And that's something that we were on Randy Whitman for that. 
you know, when he would always just put it on the players after every game, Whitman would say, oh, you know, they're not playing with effort. They're not playing with energy, you know, and he would always put it on the players and blame the players, you know, but at some point he's the coach. It's sort of like a, the, the same thing. And, you know, what Jay Gruden's dealing with in terms of the team's not ready to play, you know, at some point you, you, you need to at least have some accountability at that side too. I mean, that's where he's, he's responsible for this as well. So, you know, I think it's on everybody. It's not just – it was the entire team. It wasn't just one player not playing well. It wasn't Marquise isn't ready yet. It wasn't Otto's just getting back from injury. It wasn't Walls on a minutes restriction. This was everybody, the whole team collectively, just out there playing with a hangover. Um, all right, let's put this game aside and let me get to a different point. I don't think I've addressed this on the podcast. If I have, apologies, but I don't think I have. I know I have talked about this with Adam. I have talked about this with others on the side, but – I don't know. Seems like a good time to bring it up because, uh, you know, in a game where, like you just said, nothing is working, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of issues all over the place. You know, this is where sometimes you want to turn deep to your bench for a spark, right? Now the Wizards uh, are going essentially ten deep these days. Jo- Jason Smith and Tim Frazier are the two odd men out, right? But you know, th- there's no. Like, if you just look at the team in general, going to Tim Frazier is not a spark move, typically, right? I mean, Sadoransky would be more of the spark guy, so I wouldn't say that. Is Jason Smith a spark? Eh, look, Jason Smith hasn't been making his three-pointers this year. Uh, You know, if you said, uh, you know, put him in for instead of Mahimi, okay. But that's, you know, that's not, that's not really a thing. I mean, but, but, but here's the thing. They really don't have anywhere else to go. And why is that? Because they don't have anybody else on the bench. Chris McCullough uh, is the only other reserve on the team. Chris McCullough doesn't play. Chris McCullough, who in essence is a small forward or a stretch forward, whatever you want to say, even in the games where uh, Otto Porter was out and Kelly Oubre was starting, and meaning they have zero backup small forward at that point, and Brooks is using Sadoransky in that spot. I know that's having Adam throw things at the wall when that happens. Um, the you know They don't have another wing to, to go to. And this is a, an issue that I have right now with kind of the Wizards are at. Because as you just said, we have to stop looking at them as a contender in the East until they prove to us that they can be a contender in the East. But they're not; their roster is not constructed like a contender in the East. And I'm not talking about the 12 guys at the top. I'm talking about the fact that the three at the bottom, they don't exist. Uh, and that's a problem if you're going to tell me that you're really trying to build a team that's competing to win. Chris McCullough exists. Look, realistically, Chris McCullough should be in the G League. He, he he was there last year, hasn't shown much signs of improvement. He made three or four shots tonight, and that's fine. If he was showing significant improvement, Scott Brooks would play him more. I asked him the other day about this, and he said he liked the energy that McCullough brings in practice and so on and so on. Okay, I'm not saying that's not nothing, but he clearly has no interest in using him in any game that counts, right? So we can kind of dismiss that. But then the other two spots, one is occupied by Sheldon Mack. Now, I, I think Sheldon Mack's an interesting player if he had been healthy. I'd be curious to see what he could do as sort of a defensive energy guy off the bench. But the reality is he's a 24-year-old undrafted free agent who hasn't proven that he could be part of a a rotation. You realistically would not keep that guy on your team. He's a minimum salary player. You would realistically cut him to pick up somebody else. And if, look, if you want to bring him back next year, I feel confident that none of the other 29 teams are going to outbid you, right? So you would think they would do that. Except they didn't do that. I suspect part of it is, according to Bobby Marks's of the world, the salary cap people, it'll cost you more money to cut him and bring somebody else in than just to keep him. And then lastly, they have an open roster spot flat out ever since they cut Carrick Felix. 
They had a spot wide open. That's three spots on your end of your bench that are not essentially not being used or not even viable to be used. The Cleveland Cavaliers are missing a lot of people. They have guys at their end of their bench who play. Uh, I think if you look at the Celtics, you know, I'm not saying these are all great players, but if you need them in a pinch, either because of injury, which they've had, foul trouble, or just, hey, we need something different, or even a practice, what, whatever it is, they're not using it. I get it if you don't have one guy, maybe you only have a 14-player roster. They're not even doing that right now. And I think to me, in a game like this, where you where, where this team keeps coming out with no energy, you got to do something. And going to different guys would be that something. They don't have those guys. And and, and to me, that, that if I was a fan, this would be a frustrating look for me. Because when you don't have anybody, I mean, literally you're essentially ignoring three roster spots on a 15-man roster. And that, to me, is, is, is crazy. Yeah, and... Yes, it's really it's it's four as you're saying with the empty roster spot that's open. It's really now that Sadoransky is the backup point guard, it's really Frazier and McCullough, you know, well, and Mac and well, that I mean, roster spot. Well, Frazier can play. Well, no, but he, I mean, he's the third well, point why, guard. That's fine. I mean, you know, you need that. That's fine. Well, but here's here's but here's what here's the issue with Frazier is like when he is playing, like what you were saying without Otto and without Ubre, they play Sadoransky at small forward and bring in uh, Frazier as a point guard. But really what they need, Frazier isn't a spark, as you said. So what they really, they need somebody else who they could bring in. You can keep Sadoransky at point guard, you know, and then bring in that spark. Cause so Frazier is really coming in, you know, out of necessity. And he's really, you know, he's the only guy at the bench who they have, who's a playable guy. And he's, he's playing a position that they really, they really don't need, but yeah, the McCullough is just wasted space because they're not going to play him, and they're really in need of. You could pick up guys who are better than McCullough, who I believe would be better than than Frazier, and certainly would play you know Max position, and they could actually get some rotation because really you have to add Jason Smith into there. I like Jason Smith. I like when he comes in, but the bottom line is Brooks does not play him. Brooks has played McCullough ahead of him before, you know, in games. So. You can really add Jason Smith's spot in there as another guy that Brooks doesn't trust or doesn't want to play because he just doesn't, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't fit into the way Brooks wants to play. So it's really as when Brooks looks down the bench, in his mind, there's nobody there to put in. It's really just that, that you know, 10 men, that's it. So, you know, and I agree, that's a, it's an issue. It's an issue when you're not going to play in the playoffs. If you have an eight-man rotation, it's maybe it's less of an issue. It maybe would be less of an issue if Washington was playing well. But not when they're playing like this and not when they now have injuries, which they didn't have in, you know, last season. And, so, and, and it's strictly yeah, – I was going to say it seems strictly to be a cost-cutting measure. Um, but, you know, I don't know what other reason there would be for it. And, again, it's not my money, so I can't, you know – fault them for doing it but it's just a matter of that that's the reality of where you are you're either someone who's who wants to be a a contender and do everything you can or or you want to keep those roster spots open and keep a player on the roster simply to to save money right i mean it'd be one thing if you said look we decided that we're going to do this have these open spots but instead we're going to really use our g league players to help uh fill in the gap. So Mike Young or Devin Robinson is playing with this team at least once in a while or sometimes whatever. Well, obviously that's not happening either. And, and that's fine. I mean, I let them do their thing in the G league. That's the whole point of it. Well, I'll, I'll move past the fact that they don't have their own G league team and that they're both at 
far-flung places around the country playing basketball. Put that aside. They're just not even doing that. Now, here's the thing. Like, for example, when Otto Porter went out, like, the bench had been on a really good run, right, with with the five players that we, you know, with Oubre, Scott, Mahimi, Sadoransky, Meeks, right? I mean, whatever. They had been working together. But when Otto goes out and you start Oubre, there's nobody else to fill in that gap. So now the bench got thrown out of whack. Sadoransky was was playing, but as, like, the backup three as much as anything. And that just threw them out of whack. As opposed to if instead of, like, you know, even if it is McCullough, just play him. I mean, I, I wouldn't even have honestly cared if he had started McCullough instead of Oubre just to keep the second unit intact. If he gives you five minutes off the bat of anything, good energy and alone, that's fine. Then you keep, then you bring Oubre in like you might normally and kind of go from there. But they didn't even do that and it seemed to throw them out of whack. But on, a, on another note, so Tim Frazier, uh, looking at the bottom, at the last five, right? Tim Frazier's your point guard. You know, whatever, that's fine. Jason Smith, he's either, you know, he's your third, he's your center. Okay, that's fine. McCullough, I'm not saying it's fine, but let's just say for argument's sake, he's your, you know, your, your third power forward or whatever. Okay, great. You still have no wing though, right? So if Jody Meeks or Beal got hurt, you wouldn't even have another shooter on the team. And mind you, you can't even bring, go to the two guys in the G League for that because they essentially are the same thing as McCullough in a general sense. So you basically, between McCullough and the two G League guys, have three of the same thing. You have no shooting, no shooting deep off that bench. You have no wing players. So if you just, I'm not saying you had to keep Carrick Felix, but whomever you wanted to be, you know, look, and I get it. I'm not saying what I'm talking about right now is why they just lost by 40 points or why they're can't, they're uneven, but it's just a sign to me of you're not completely invested in, in this, or it's just not giving the, the head coach everything at his, at his disposal in whatever way that is. Every time I, by the way, I'll just say this, every time I talk to a former athlete about the Wizards being up and down after a bad streak, they many of them will say to me, well, how are they practicing? And I will probably say, well, in the NBA, you don't really practice a ton just because of the flow of the schedule. But he's like, but there was a, well, they're probably not, they're probably somewhat practicing like they're playing. And that was a part of the point I was making what I wrote the other day for NBC Washington. And part of that is you don't have enough players. You, you know, if, if all these guys are banged up and hurt, you don't have enough guys to go full bowl, you know, full practice the way you'd want to. You can solve that. Just add these other guys. Again, it's not my money, but it's something I think that we we need to make notice of. And I think it's, I mean, it's all part of the same mentality. And it's been now several years of this, where I think if you look at what Markeith Morris said when he was asked about the turnaround, you know, trust me, it's coming. It's this, it's almost a sense of entitlement and an expectation that, so why the fact that they think it's coming, okay, well, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's not, it, it comes based on your effort and energy and based on what you do on the court. So when you say, trust me, it's coming, there's things that you control in that process of whether or not the run is going to come. And so we just saw it in Brooklyn on the court, and it's not coming. If you're going to play like this, it's not going to come. So they, they say these things, they say these words, words come out of their mouth, but they're not backed up by action. The, the run is not coming until there is consistent play on the court. So it doesn't matter what they say. And it's just sort of that, that mentality where they say these things, but then they don't do it on the court. And that's, that's been a problem, as Wall you know, often says, when you say, hey, this was a problem last year, Wall will say, you know, it's been a problem for five years you know, when I've been here. So uh, you know, everyone who's come in, Ariza, 
uh, Paul Pierce, Jared Dudley, everybody who's come into that locker room has, has said the same thing and has been frustrated. I remember back to, I think, even uh, Mecca Okafor, having the same frustration about the win some, lose some, uh, you know, mentality. And so, I mean, that's sort of, that's that's where we are, and that's why when you say, trust me, it's coming, That's you got to back that up with something on the court. All right, so the Wizards will be back on the court Saturday night. They're hosting Orlando. I, I, I guess I'll say this is good news. The Magic are terrible right now. They, they were the, one of the interesting stories to start the NBA season. Got off to a really good streak. Now they're pretty miserable. 11-22. and 22. They've lost seven in a row. They got blown out tonight themselves. Well, not, I guess – if I said they lost by 14 and call that a blowout, that's relative to losing by 35. Uh, but they lost to the Pelicans, a team the Wizards just beat, uh, and they're in a bad way, and they're missing, as you said, expected to be missing several players uh, in, in that game, uh, including their first-round pick, Jonathan Isaacs, and uh, some some others. So so they're in a rough uh, in a rough way right now too and and look hopefully the wizards you know for their sake can go in take advantage of it get get back home win that game and and you know go from there but um you know even if they go out and look the part it's just going to be hard to to look at it and say oh well i guess they figured it out um you know (laughs) you know that's not going to happen and 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 the crucial part on some level also adam is this the schedule which included this game tonight it 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 it's it shapes up nicely for them to finish the 2017 calendar year. There's a lot of teams with losing records. Uh, they've got Brooklyn, and then they've got well, they had Brooklyn, they lost at Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago. Then if you skip into uh, uh, 2018, the Knicks are the Knicks have a losing record or now? No, they're, they're winning, right? Uh, yeah, the Knicks have a winning record. Yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're they're actually they're about the same as the Wizards, but then Memphis. Is there so so? There's I mean, look, there's some good teams in here as well. Boston, Houston, uh, and 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 I I mentioned Chicago, but Chicago's been one of the hotter teams in in the league. Now, yeah, yeah. But but the larger point just is simply, you know, there's opportunities here to to win some of these games. Even if you you know, even if you lose at Boston, nobody would think that would be ridiculous. If you lose at to, to Houston, uh, you know, maybe they're playing the best of anybody in the NBA right now. Nobody's going to say, well, that's terrible. But you can't afford to then lose to the other teams, to the to the Nets of the world, because that that is where you're gonna that that's where you lose ground. That that's where everything starts to go awry. So uh, I don't know, man. I think this has like been one of the more uh, distressing podcasts we've done in a while. But then again, when you lose by 35 points at Brooklyn, uh, <laughs> it's not gonna be uh, it's not gonna be a lot of uh, sunshine going on here. Well, and the bad thing is, for a fan, is it sort of saps the fun, it saps the hope out of the season because it's only one game they lost. However, because they lost, this means now when they beat Orlando tomorrow, which I fully expect them to do, it takes some of the joy out of it because you're saying, well, okay, great, they beat Orlando. They're going to go right back to how they were. So this is sort of a game which is going to take more than a game to make up because it's just, it just makes, it almost renders the regular season or any stretch irrelevant until they actually start playing. So I don't really care if they beat Orlando tomorrow because I, I don't care if they have a big upset over Boston on, you know, on Monday, on Christmas day, it'd be great to watch, but who cares as long as if they're going to go out and just lose to Atlanta the next night. So it's really, 
that's so it's that's why these games are frustrating that's why the podcast gets you know you know you're like this is a, a down podcast because it's just sort of like these games are it's bigger than just one game it's sort of just it, it, you know it, it saps the, the positivity that you that you have but, yeah, no, yeah no, absolutely right i mean i mean th- th- this game against the celtics obviously we've all been talking about it for months we knew it was coming and and you know look at the celtics are not the same team they were a year ago they only have four people back but still Kyrie's there you know, he the thing with him and John Wall is always something everybody will get up for. The Celtics are obviously very good again. Uh, you know, Al Horford, Markeith Morris, that's a thing. You got the Twins, that's a thing, assuming that they're both playing. So there's a lot here. It'll be fun. But, you know, it does sort of take it away from, from that, from the fun aspect of it, like you said. because You know, fun in the sense of the bigger picture, because the Wizards right now are just simply not looking like a team that can truly can, can compete at, at the high level, and um, I don't know, man. We will see. We will see at some point here. I mean, like I said, I, I, I give them the fact that, like I said, three of their five starters are clearly not a hundred percent, and that's a hard way to go. But again, it goes back to my point. If you if if, if you got guys who aren't a hundred percent, this is why you need all your roster spots, or you know, as many of them as possible, filled with potential help because you don't know what you know. You you might need some guys coming in. And the Wizards simply do not have all those options, and they've had to come with these weird lineups, like you said, with Tim Frazier and Sadoransky together, which is no bueno. Uh, Brooks had to go with, without with Wall playing a few minutes. He went no point guard in the first half, and that's actually when the Nets started to get some separation from the Wizards, so on and so on. So, uh, so we will see. Uh, back at it Saturday, Adam. Uh, again, uh, look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you out there. Uh, look forward to. Uh, Oh, man, I don't know. I look, I look, to be honest with you, I look forward to eating the rest of my dinner uh, here in a minute. I'm excited for that. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Merry Christmas. Yes, happy holidays to you and you. <laughs> happy holidays. For sure. Um, all right, so uh, I don't even know if I said all the proper things today, but of course you can find Adam on Twitter at Liddell's Place. I am at Ben Standig. You can find all the podcasts on iTunes. Most of them are generally more positive and upbeat than this, even the ones where coming after a loss, because this was a particularly blech one, to say the least. But tomorrow is a new day in the NBA. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, thanks to you guys. Thanks to Adam Rubin. Until next time, see you. Neal gets open for three. Dagger! Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.